Well, if you're on our email list, then you received one from me this week with the news that the Lord has provided for us an associate pastor to join our staff. And uh, next month, Paul Morris from Milford, Ohio, will come with his wife, Susan, and their children, Jaden and Ellie, ages seven and two, uh, to join our staff. And Paul, uh, Pastor Paul previously served on the pastoral staff of the River Tree Vineyard and has more recently been working on his Master of Divinity degree in pastoral leadership. And uh, he's a sharp guy, and uh, he has a real passionate love for the Lord and a real deep commitment to prayer. And uh, I think you guys are, are going to find a place in your heart. So I hope you'll join me in welcoming them into our fellowship and, and just praying for us as a church, the revelation of, of God on you know, his plan for us, the next leg of the journey here. And uh, many thanks to my two dear friends, I only have two, um, <laughs> Pastor Brian Bird for the first Sunday I was gone, for coming and bringing it. That was a wonderful message. I listened to it online. And uh, also Elder Don Ivers. Elder, where are you? Raise your hand and give it up for Don back there. For Thank you. Bringing the, bringing the word to you over the past two Sundays. Um, the week in between those past two Sundays was such a wonderful time of relaxation for Karen and me with our family up in Michigan, which is also known as God's country. Just so you, just so you know. How do I know that it's God's country? Because I met God there as a teenager. That's where he lives. And uh, because I met him again two Sundays ago today on the Sunday mornings, sitting on the dock of an inland lake in Michigan, all by myself, as it was just starting to get light. And because I met him there throughout the week, including a full-color, brilliant, prophetic dream that he gave to me on Friday night about fresh bread. Fresh bread. So that's how I know. I, I've met him there, but good news is, is he also does the same thing in India and in Brazil and Nicaragua and rumor has it. Oh, he does that here too, doesn't he? God's country is where you meet with God, right? He says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Are we here in his name? Have you come for any other reason than Jesus? If we're here in his name, then we're in God's country, we're in God's presence. So today I'd like to continue in the summer short series with a message entitled, Gluten-Free Christianity. From John chapter 6, verses 25 through 29. We'll get there in a minute, but I want to start with the context of the passage that I want to be sharing with you because I think you're aware of my, my commitment to context. In other words, what we're about to read doesn't just stand alone, but it lives in relationship with what's around it. And I think the important part of what we're about to read, Jesus being the bread of life, is that um, the, the two uh, uh, really unbelievable events that preceded when Jesus said these things to, to the people who were asking him. And the first bit of context we've got to get in our minds is that Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. You know this story, anybody? Yeah? Some of you don't, and it's great if you don't. That's why I'm here. I just tolerate the rest. I'm here, I'm here for you if you don't know this story, all right? 
The rest we just let pay the bills. Okay? So Jesus is speaking to all these thousands of people. And he spoke to them at such length that he became concerned about feeding them. And he said, we've got to feed these people before we send them away. They've been listening to me for so long. And uh, so he lays this on the disciples. And uh, Philip is one of the guys who speaks up, and, and he did the math. And he said, he said, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. So it's a big crowd. He did the math. Have you ever noticed that when you're trying to walk a walk of faith, there's always somebody doing the math? You know, there's always that buzzkill kind of person, like you're, you're out there, you're walking it out, and you know, things are happening in the context of your relationship with God, and there's somebody who's just so analytical, and that's all right, because some people are just wired that way, but uh, they're, they're just doing the math, and the math seems interruptive, doesn't it? And they come in with the logic of the thing, and so then you have a choice. Well, Andrew says, Andrew just poses a question, he's the faith guy, and he says, Oh, I got a kid here with five loaves and two fish. But he asks a question to the Lord, what is that among so many? In other words, he's almost ready to say, I'm sure that's enough for you because you're Jesus. But instead he says, I got five loaves and two fish. What could you do with that? And he said, have him sit down. Jesus said, have him sit down. They sit down. And everybody eats from five loaves and two fish. I know, and they have 12 basketfuls left over, one for each disciple. One for each disciple. Five loaves, two fish, equates to feeding what must have been 20,000 people because it says 5,000 men, the way they counted things back then, and their families. It's been 20, 30,000 people, and they each went home. That just happened, so the bread thing is on their minds. But the second thing that just happened is Jesus just walked on water. So... So it's kind of a big day, right? For the disciples, it's kind of a big lot, lot going on. So what happened at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus sent the disciples across the lake. And this lake is several miles across. And he got, get, sent them in their boat because Jesus wanted to do something. Does anybody know what Jesus wanted to do? He wanted to pray. It says, you know, I've, I just fed 30,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I'm wiped out. I need to go. I need to go reconnect with the Father. Words to live by right there, right? So he goes, and he sends them on ahead. It says they're three and a half miles out, and, they're like, and the storm comes up, and they're, they're dying. They're, they're in trouble. Well, Jesus, I guess, is done praying because he needs to catch up with them. So it's a very practical decision, right? Well, that's no problem. I'll just walk. It's only three and a half miles. That was nothing to somebody back then. The, the, the something was that it was across water. And so he walks across the water, and the disciples, in one of the accounts, they see him coming, and they're like, ah, it's a ghost. They're terrified. Who wouldn't be? There's someone walking on water. <laughs> so they're terrified. One account says that when Jesus got close, Peter said, Lord, if that's you, call me to come to you walk on the water. And, 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 and Jesus says, oh, it's me. He said, come. He says, you got it? bring it. Twelve disciples, one guy, lifts his legs up over the edge of the boat and decides that because Jesus said so, he can walk on water. You know, it was an imperfect walk, right? He kind of had some trouble along the way because he kind of took his eyes off the Lord. He began to sink, and the Lord rescued him. 
while 11 other stupefied disciples are paralyzed in the boat, right? These things have just happened. So, big crowd, right? Listened to Jesus, fed them miraculously, sent the they saw him send the disciples, and then he vanishes to be with the Father. And then the, where we're going to pick it up now, they're all on the other side of the lake. Jesus and the disciples and people who had caught up with them. So in verse 20, that's the context. So we look at John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> that's, the when question really isn't their question, is it? It's how did you get here? They saw no wave runner parked around. They, they saw nothing that would indicate that he came in the normal means. When did you get here? Jesus answered, well, I'll tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't you wait? Just love the way Jesus answers questions by never answering the question. When did you get here? <laughs> That's not the question. The question he's saying to them is, why are you looking for me? What are you after? What are you after that you think I have? Jesus is saying. I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And then, this is amazing, one of my earliest memory verses, verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him the Father has placed his seal of approval. Well, then they asked him, what must we do to do the work? Do the works God requires. So remember, with Jesus, everything shifts from following the law away from the works of the law to living the life as we're indwelt by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so there's a point of confusion in their lives. Where is this going? What are the works? Because surely, I mean, isn't that just inside of every one of us? There's got to be something to do. There's got to be something that I have to do toward God to make up for the fact that I suck at life, that I make bad decisions, that I make promises I don't keep, that I, there's got to be something I have to do. There's got to be, right? Isn't that inside of us? There's got to be something that I would do that would cause God to go, okay, well now, now you're better, come on. So what are the works God requires? And Jesus answered him flat out. This time he did answer the question. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in him. To believe in him. To believe in the one he has sent. That's the work. That's the work God wants from us, people. To believe in the one he has sent. Who's the one he has sent? Jesus. To believe in Jesus is the work. Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, he says, the only thing that matters, I love it when the Bible makes it so clear. It helps me so much, doesn't it? The only thing that matters, it says in Galatians, is faith expressing itself through love. Never mind about how many times you go to church every week, how thick your Bible is, how many underlinings you have. Never mind. The only thing that matters is, is faith, that's believing in Jesus, expressing itself through what? Love. That's it. So they're saying, what's the work? What's the work we got to do to be right with God? He said, the work of God is this, 
to believe in the one he sent. There's so much in this passage, so much that follows. Verse 27, I want to go back to for just a second. When Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So there's this contrast, isn't there? We're, we're working, are we not? We're working all the time. We're, uh, you know, I'm working right now. I don't know about you, but I'm working. I'm at work. I know, it's crazy. It's a great gig if you can get it. But listen, there's this contrast that we work. So we work for food that spoils, or we work for food that endures to eternal life. Jeff and Tracy, let me borrow you. Jeff, would you stand here, please? That wasn't a question. <laughs> would you stand? Tracy, could I borrow you, too? You look so nice. I need to, I need to distinguish between beauty and not beauty. Come over here. Okay, so you represent food that endures to eternal life. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. You represent food that spoils. <laughs> With the shoe fit. Good casting, right? <laughs> right? All right. So in reality, we all live this life somewhere in between. We're doing both all the time, aren't we? Because we all got to pay the mortgage, right? We all got to make the payment. We all got to pay for our space on the planet. And that's stuff that spoils. It's all going to rust. We can't take it with us. You've never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch, right? You can't take it with you. And so we're, 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 we got to do some of that. And yet in us, in our relationship with God, is this desire to work for food that endures to eternal life. <laughs> right? Right. Okay, that's you. Yeah. So the question that we're always asking ourselves, the decision we're always making, is where are we going to live in between the two, right? Because we're, we have to do both. We have to do both. We have to pay the rent. But we don't always have to pay the rent. And so isn't our whole goal as Christians just to kind of keep tweaking ourselves over in this direction? I'm happier. The farther I get away from Jeff, the happier I am. <laughs> Symbolically. Okay? So the question you have to ask yourself all the time is, where are you in the transition, right? Okay, great, thanks. But he said, don't work for food that spoils. But for food that endures to eternal life, he says, the rest of the verse says, that the Son of Man will give you. Jesus wants to give us something. It's not cars. It's not houses. There's so much preaching about Jesus wants to give you cars and houses. That's food that spoils. There's something better. There's something better that he wants to give. Some of you know. I can see by the look on your faces. You've been eating from the Lord's table, haven't you? You've been eating his bread. It's good. So that's the first thing this really strikes us, is where, where are we living in that, in that spectrum? The other point of focus I'd like to make this morning is a question and answer that occurs. They, they next ask, as we noted, well, okay, so what must we do to do the works God requires? And then he says the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent this is the work of a Christ follower. Everything else comes from this. Sometimes we think that taking our turn in the children's ministry is the work. It's necessary, absolutely critical, or being an usher, or playing the band, or, and all these things require effort, but they have to come from something more basic, and that's the work of believing in Jesus. You know, if not, 
if not for Jesus, how could you tolerate it with four-year-olds back there for an hour and a half? You know what I'm saying? These hyperactive ADD kids were cranking out today. How could you even do it? If not for the fact that you believe in Jesus, right? That has to be at the core of our effort. Everything that, so the work is actually believing in Jesus. And then what follows after that becomes more naturally supernatural. Does that make sense? But it's to believe in him. It's to believe in Jesus. Believe, that's such an important preposition, to believe in Jesus. Not to believe about Jesus. There's an, an incredible, important difference between believing in Jesus and believing about Jesus. And the Bible says that the work that God requires of us is to believe in him, not about him. The question that the Bible poses to us isn't, do you believe that Jesus was a historical figure who lived 2,000 plus years ago and walked the Sea of Galilee and da 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 da? That's not the question. It's a question, but it's not the question. The question is not, do you believe about him, but do you believe in him? In him. In him. Are you, are you trusting your, your life? the nature of your very existence, let alone what happens after your body quits, are you trusting in him? How many of you believe about skydiving? You believe about it? You know, that people do it, yeah. It's crazy. But I think in general, probably no one in here would say, that doesn't exist. No one in here would say skydiving doesn't exist. We all believe about it. How many of you have done it? Stand up. We want to see the crazy people. Would you stand? Uh, wow. Wow. I don't know whether to admire you or fear you or what, but Karen, you, 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 did, you jumped? Cool. Call he jumped. I know you jumped. See, they believe in it, don't they? <laughs> we believe about it. I'm going to die believing about it. I'm not doing it. But the difference between believing about something and believing in something. And the Bible says the work is this, to believe in the one who sent us. How many of you believe about Tim Hortons? You, yeah? I think if you don't, I mean, they're everywhere, right? Tim Hortons, you know, they're the ones that make the things, the, the Timbits? Do you believe about Timbits? Yeah? And that would not be very nice, would it? Well, this smell alone, so good. You believe about them? What would I have to do to believe in it, in, in Tim Hortons? Eat one? There's a problem with that. How many of you believe there were, there were Timbits in here? Raise your hand. Be honest with me. There were. <laughs> Focus. Point. Never put your confidence in the one who's telling you about it. 
Don't ever put your confidence in the person who's telling you about it. See for yourself. See for yourself. Don't ever live vicariously through somebody else's story. Get your own story. You can be inspired by someone else's story, but look in the box. You wanted to believe that there were some in here, right? You wanted to believe that because you love me and you trust me and I would never lie to you and it's true. And I never said there were any in here, did I? Believe about Timbits? Anybody? Believe in them? You had one? I never picture you eating a Timbit. <laughs> Where did you put it? <laughs> okay. Where did you store it? All right. Well, if you'd like to believe in Timbits, then pass them around. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> We're going to have a problem. That's Jesus. Get that. <laughs> he said, Jesus is a move on, Tom, huh? Keep moving. The difference between believing in and believing about, you know, even our salvation is based on believing in, not about. John 3.16, did anybody get there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes about him believes in him. Believing in Jesus is the work of being a Christian. Believe. You say, well, that doesn't seem very hard. When, when does work equate to believing. I mean, it doesn't seem that hard. I believe in Jesus right now. It doesn't seem to be wearing me out. There are some times in our lives when believing is work, yes? It's work when times are tough. You've been through tough times? You've been through tough times, and it's, it becomes harder, doesn't it, to believe in Jesus and to believe in the promises of the Scripture and to believe in Jesus in the way that we did when they weren't tough. It, it can be work when we're surrounded by unbelief. It's harder to believe when we're surrounded by people who don't believe. It's, it's substantially more difficult. It's harder work. One of the questions that we often struggle with here at the Vineyard is, is why our experience with the signs and wonders of God, that we have seen God move in such powerful ways, we've seen people healed, we've seen the most amazing things happen, have we not? And yet it's been so inconsistent and so intermittent. And some Sundays we gather together and the move of God is so strong you can scarcely stand, and other, other Sundays it's not that way at all. And it's, do you not ask the question with me, why is it so intermittent and inconsistent? Well, I think a possible answer for that is it's intermittent and inconsistent is because we live as a nation in a climate of unbelief. As a nation, 
we live in a climate of unbelief. You know, there was a place where Jesus said, I'm not going to do any miracles here because there's so much doubt. Jesus said that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not doing any miracles here because I'm surrounded by doubt. I won't do it. And here we sit here and we say, but we believe. We believe. But we believe. Sometimes, of course, with other churches who also believe in the move of God and the signs and wonders and the healing and the, the deliverance from addictions, the things that we've seen here. But we, we, we do this as islands in a sea of unbelief. As a nation, we do not believe. And so, it makes it harder to believe in Jesus in the ways that we want to because we are constantly, constantly compared to and affected by the climate of unbelief. I mean, you come in here as believers in agreement together. Something happens, doesn't it? Something gets stirred up. Some juice gets flowing. And sometimes we see cool things happen. And then you go, and it begins to dissipate, doesn't it? Why? Because we live in a climate of unbelief. Travel with Karen and me, as many of you have, to India or Brazil or Nicaragua, and some of you have been to Africa. Travel to the third world countries. And go to the believers there and stretch out your hand and see what God does there. We cannot come into a village in India without somebody coming up to one of us, usually me because I'm the tallest and the baldest, and literally without being able to speak my language, take my hand and put my hand on their forehead. And as soon as I do that, then there are 13, 15, 25 other people in a group waiting their turn. And we see stuff happen. We see stuff happen. Because it's a climate of belief. And perhaps it's the, the third world nature of the culture, the lack that causes them to believe compared to the affluence but we live. It's harder to believe. You've got to work harder at believing in America. Doesn't make sense, does it? One nation under? Maybe not. I think it's also work to believe when God seems silent or distant. Sometimes God seems more present than at other times, doesn't he? Sometimes he's like right there in the but sometimes he doesn't seem near and he doesn't seem very talkative. And so the work of believing becomes harder. That was one of the summer shorts questions that was submitted to me is, talk about what to do when God is silent. What am I supposed to do when I'm not hearing him? Well, it's the same work as when he's obvious. You believe. You believe in him. It's the same work. It's harder but it's exactly the same work. It's believing in him. And as an encouragement, it's looking for him, looking for his effects. You know, Jesus said that the, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He says you can't see him coming, but you can sure see where he's been, right? <laughs> because of the effects. And so when you're going through one of those times and, you know, it's quiet, it's like, oh, where did, I had it, I don't have it, God seems so silent. 
Open your eyes to the effects of God. See what you can see. This week, uh, from Tuesday night to Thursday morning, I was uh, overwhelmed by the love of God. Because I was seeing him everywhere. I was seeing his love. Tuesday night in our prayer meeting, ah, it, it just took off and something, really cool happen. You can come to that, by the way. It's 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's no experience necessary. Just come on. We worship God and we pray, and sometimes it's really cool. Like Tuesday night, there was so much love. Wednesday night, a home group in my living room. It was off the hook with love. Wasn't it? Brett, Nicole, Tammy, I mean, it was just it was crazy. I have a strict rule in my home group that at 8.30 we stop the talking, teaching part and that they have till 9 o'clock to play and at 9 o'clock they're going home because I'm going to bed. You think I'm kidding, I'm not, and they know it. It's a, it's a hard, fast rule. Well, we got done at 8.30 they didn't want to play. They just wanted to dwell in the love of God in the move of God that was happening, I told them at 10 to 9, you guys, you're using up your free time. I let them stay till quarter after. I let them stay up late. There's so much love. Thursday morning, I came here to pray, 6 o'clock in the morning. There are two other ladies here. Just in here. The love of God was palpable. So when, you, when, it's not, when he's not invading that space and talking to you, look around for what he's doing. Go, go on a Tuesday night on one of our homeless runs, bridge builders. Just go. Just go. And watch what he's doing. One Christmas Eve, Karen and I were out with the bridge builders. It was so cold. Oh, my gosh. And we were out. And we stopped at this one stop, and homeless people came. They knew we were coming, and we fed them, and we gave them blankets and stuff. And, and Patricia always has us circle up to pray. So we circle up, we're all holding hands, and, and Patricia said, anybody want to pray? And this homeless guy starts to pray. And he started to pray, and he, it was overwhelming. He said, Lord, it's Christmas Eve. And I just pray that everybody who wakes up tomorrow morning in this city will remember what Christmas is about. This guy was going back to his tent. That's what you're looking for when he seems silent. You keep, believe, you keep believing and look for what he's doing. It'll, it'll start the fire again. You're not going to see it on television. Probably not going to find it on your eye thing. But it's everywhere. Just look for what he's doing when you can't hear him talk. And keep believing in. Keep believing in. Keep believing in even when he's silent. Karen and I have been married for 43 years. We've had one true argument. I know. Some of you are like, oh, you are so lying. Karen, am I right? One argument. Guess who won? <laughs> it was an argument while we were building the house we live in. Apparently, that's hard on a couple, building houses. Uh, can I get a witness? Anybody? Yeah, okay. 
One true argument in 43 years, where it's really knocked down your so stupid argument. But, particularly in the first decade or so, there were lots of silent times. <laughs> Sometime when she did something stupid. Sometime when I did something stupid, and it, you know what I'm talking about? And it, the moon isn't in the seventh house, and Jupiter isn't aligning with Mars anymore, and things get out of kilter. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And rather than argue about it, we just stop talking. Sometimes for a few days. What do you do when the one you love goes silent and you don't have the courage to break the silence? You keep believing in your marriage. You keep believing in the thing. You keep believing in the one you love. You keep talking yourself. You, you believe in that you're in something that's greater than this moment of silence. And beloved, when God goes silent on you, or appears to go silent on you, keep believing in him because you're in something that's greater than the silence. And it'll pass. It'll pass. But if you want to be a Christian, you've got to eat the bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread. He said, you're, 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 he said to these guys, you come after me because you ate of me and you had your fill. I... I gave you something that only I can give you. And a little while later, spoiler alert, we'll probably look at it next week. He said, I am the bread of life. So Jesus has something for us. He has food that endures to eternal life. And we're going to call it his bread because that's what he called it. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to eat the bread. It's not believing about Jesus. It's believing in Jesus and receiving the bread from his hand. It's an experience, not a worldview. It's an actual event, not a philosophy. It's a relationship, not a religion. He has bread for you. And if you want, if Christ followers are those who eat the bread, you gotta eat the bread. There are no gluten free options in Christianity. Now, <laughs> you gotta believe in Jesus, not just about him. And I want to tell you, there are groups of churches all across America who are committed to settling for teaching their people to believe about him. Come and believe what we say. That should carry you through. Those churches are lying. They're telling you there's nothing in the box. They're telling you the box is empty. They're telling you believe about the box. Just believe about Jesus. Believe he was a perfect man. Believe he died on the cross even. Believe he rose from the dead even. Believe that about him. But they're saying stop there because it's dangerous to get into the box. I want to tell you something. It is dangerous to get into the box. Timbits are dangerous. But it's what it means to do the work of him who sent you. It's to believe in him. Not just about him. 
So how do you do that? You come. It's his bread, right? You come and you say, oh, I want to move past the about into the place of in. We've seen God meet people here thousands of times. Maybe you're a person who's entirely on the outside looking in. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you're saying, I, I'm not even a Christian yet. You don't have to spend any time in the about phase. Come right to the in, believing in faith. You don't have to believe about him for a while before you're ready. If God is stirring inside of you right now and you're saying, I want in. I want in with Jesus Christ. I want out of religion. I want out of philosophy. I want out of this, this, lame, this lame, benign believing about Jesus and trying to sort that into a technological world. I want out of that, and I want to come into the reality of a relationship with Jesus, then you can come, and we can help you. And if you're a person who that's new for, or that's old for, if you're a person who said, you know, I used to be in, and I've settled for about, we can help you. All you got is come. How, how do I... You just come and you present yourself to him. You say, Lord, say what's on your heart. I want, him, I, I, want, I want in. I want to experience what it means to be in. If that's you, if that's you, come. Just come. Come on up. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm just going to help you get close to the Lord. And just come on up. See what he wants to do. It's just easy to spend your life circling the box. It's dangerous to circle the box and say, that guy told me how good the Timbits are. I believe him. I believe that guy. I think he's telling me the truth. I think those things are good. And just keep circling the box. Lord in heaven, we invite your presence. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and show us the path from wherever we are. Start with me, Lord. Wherever is still about our relationship, I want you to just clear it out and make Make it in. I want all the way in. I want you to clear away the stuff that's still between you and me. I want in. I want all in. Pray for every person in this room now, Lord, that as we're here together in this very unorchestrated moment, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every person, every one of us, where we are with respect to where we could be got a hunger for you Lord we want that bread from your hand we want that food that endures to eternal life we want to do the work of believing so that we can have it God I thank you for this church I thank you for every person such a privilege and an honor to have people come worship you and to ask me if I've heard anything lately. God, I pray that 
power of your word would fall on every single heart. On our heart as a church. That we would never be a church about saying the right words. But we'd be a church about being in your company, in your presence. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come now and also to move among us as we pray for people who are sick. Today would be a really good day for you to stretch out your hand and heal. And we believe in you, Lord. Today would be a really good day for you to rescue another marriage, for you to give someone a new physical heart. I believe you want to give somebody a new physical heart today. It's crusty. It's calcified. It's on the verge of some event, and I just believe you want to give somebody a new heart today. I believe for that. I believe in you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come now and move among us in whatever ways bring you the most glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, church, would you stand with me, please? And can we have some prayer team people come on up quickly and make yourselves available over on the sides here to pray with people. And if you're here today, we, we train people, regular old folks just like ourselves, to be able to pray with you for anything that'd be on your mind. And I know it can be kind of a step of courage on your part to come up, but we're, we're real used to that here. We don't look at you and try and figure out what you're praying about or anything like that, you know. We just, so you can come on up to these, these guys. Seem a little short. There we go. Okay. You believe in Jesus? Church? Yes. Believe in Jesus? Yes. You know, there's power in the expressed word. You're about to release power in this room by, if you can express it from your heart, you're about to release power of belief into this room. Perhaps for those who are coming for prayer. Perhaps for yourself. But you're about to release power.